Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Monday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lamar, Race, Nathan Barrett. We do this on Mondays. We look at Ohio State. We talk about the national college football picture. And then in the third segment, we do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. Ohio State, still number three in the country in the polls. We'll get to Nathan's ballot on that uh, a little bit later. But Nathan, off this 77 to 21 win, you and Steven and I had a you know discussion about the 21, 77, really good. We did have a little discussion about the 21 on the post-game pod. You said you went back and re-watched a lot of the defense from this game. We know Daquan Finn, the Toledo quarterback, did a little something here and there. What did you glean from your rewatch of Ohio State's defensive performance? So really, one of the primary questions we had coming out of that was how much of what we saw was very specific to the Daquan Finn experience. And if the similar things had happened with a less dynamic quarterback from a run game perspective, what would have happened? And when I went back and watched the game, I, I think it's possible that this could have been like 91 to nothing pretty easily. But here, because there were, I counted 11 plays on the first eight possessions that that uh, Toledo had so that was up to when they scored their 21st point it was 49 to 21 at that point 11 plays and I think that might be conservative where an Ohio State player basically had his hands on him or was within like less than an arm's length of, of grabbing him it looked like and did not tackle him and a lot of that was just his elusiveness. Some of it was just instinctive stuff. Some of it was some, I think, just fundamentally good play on his part and being able to read some things and and know how to you know, get out of some situations. Uh, I'm being a little facetious with the 91 to nothing thing, but I there were several plays where uh, several possessions where they were like one of those plays away from getting out of a problem. And I'll, the third, the th- okay, so the fourth possession of the game, I think, exemplifies this in a lot of ways. They had on third and 11, 
they were in the jack and they didn't do a lot of jack in this game. It was a lot of base defense in this game or and or or base defense with Jack Sawyer and or Javante Jean-Baptiste standing up as the end. But that's still the base defense. It's not the jack. The jack is when they're, as we talked about, moving the guy around the front. But they're in the jack and Javante Jean-Baptiste on third and 11. And they have him sort of spying Finn. And the play breaks down there. He drops back to pass. The, the, the coverage is there. So now he starts to scramble. And John Baptiste comes up to to engage him and Finn just jukes him and takes off and converts the first down. And so now instead of being out of that possession, um, it it goes on for a lot more plays. On the very next play, uh, John Cage penetrates, gets into the backfield, but then – I felt like watching it as a basketball coach, the way they tell you never to leave your feet under the basket. He penetrates. It's just him and Finn. Now he leaves his feet. And as soon as he goes up, Finn's like, well, I'm just running around this big guy. It just takes off running. And I think if he had just kept his feet and kept running after him, that play would have happened differently. Instead, he completes a pass. Uh, the play, the, 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 the there were, there were on that possession alone. There were five different instances where I thought they basically had him he was right there to be grabbed and he ran away. There was one play where it happened twice in one play where um, uh, Jack Sawyer gets into the backfield and and creates pressure, but that flushes him out. And then Tommy Eichenberg is closing on him, but he can't get him either. So again, just I'm, I'm trying to think ahead. We, We talked about this after the game, like there's no quarterback. This is not the same pressure created against Graham Mertz is maybe a sack fest. Now, Wisconsin mm. runs runs a very different offense, and it, Ohio State is going to have to respect Wisconsin's ability to run the ball more, which is probably going to affect how they attack and, and maybe the, how much they blitz, the way they blitz, that sort of thing. But like someone like him is not mobile enough. Someone like, I mean, take your pick of really a lot of, even someone like Peyton Thorne, like there's other decent quarterbacks on this roster. I don't even know if someone like Sean Clifford, who is – who Penn State will sometimes run almost to he their limps. detriment. It seems he like. limps. Yeah, I mean, he's a limp. Exactly, and but even when he is, we've seen at times. I'm trying to think. There was a game a couple of years ago against Ohio State where it felt like they just ran him a ton, and we couldn't really figure out why. Because I don't think he's that accomplished of a runner. He's all right, but someone like that, I think, would have been in trouble against Ohio State last night. Ohio State was, I think, creating a lot of the pressure that it wanted. And this was just a quarterback, as it had talked about. You know, Ryan Day had said it in our, our interviews with him earlier in the week that they were going to have to be really assignment strong against him. They were going to have to be aware that when they got penetration, when they brought pressure on him, that that sometimes is. Uh, I'm going to say it's a curse, but you have to you have to be more worried about what happens next than you do with a lot of other quarterbacks. And there were several plays where he was able to get out and do things. So. Long story short, I, I I came out of this thinking that you saw Ohio State doing a lot of good things on defense. And there were a couple of breakdowns too, so I'm not taking that away, but mostly a lot of good things on defense that this quarterback was very specially gifted to be able to turn into to salvage something out of. There are quarterbacks that you watch sometimes where you can see them inviting pressure. They're like Come try to get me, and then the play is going to start. Once you start chasing me, now it's go time. Uh, and and he was just really good, and we did talk about that. I did look up. 
we talked a lot about the explosive plays and Jim Knowles' thoughts about explosive plays. Just 20-yard plays or more, either run or pass, which, again, is not exactly Jim Knowles' definition. Ohio State's allowed 11 this season. That ranks 43rd in the country. That's 3.7 per game. Last year, Ohio State allowed 4.1 per game. They allowed 53 plays of 20 yards or more in 13 games. That ranked 50th in the country. So they went from 50th last year to 43rd so far this year. They went from 4.1 per game allowed last year to 3.7 allowed per game this year. Basically the same. And, and then, and like we said, a little bit noisy because some of that Toledo stuff happened at the yeah, end of the game. So which is which, but it's noisy both ways, right? So yeah. yeah. And Ohio State has 20 offensively has 25 plays of 20 yards or more this season. That's first in the nation. That's 8.3 per game. Last year, they had 93 in 13 games. They were second in the nation behind Western Kentucky with 7.2 per game. So they're slightly above the pace a year ago, but it's very similar, right? That again, it goes back to what Jim Knoll said. It's like, well, you know, our offense does so many that you could even give up a few more on defense. So it's about double, right? I mean, it's sort of like eight to four. They get eight, they give up four. That's a pretty good ratio. That's going to work most of the time. Um, I do always think snap counts are interesting. When it comes to the Ohio State defense, right, we're always very interested in that. It's hard in a blowout, but you could try to compare the the, the top-line guys against each other. Tommy Eichenberg at linebacker, 44 snaps. Steel Chambers and Cody Simon each had 28. So I think that's confirming, right? All that this is confirming is Eichenberg's the guy, Chambers and Simon split the other spot, and that's how they're rolling, right? Yeah. Do you think right now, if you had to pick the most likely Ohio State player to win, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, would it be my call or would it be Tommy Eichenberg? I, I can't go there. I can't go. I can't go to either of them. Not, neither. I mean, it's just they're blitzing Tommy Eichenberg a lot and he's doing the right things. I mean, I just, I can't go there. That, I'm, I'm, I still think it's more likely that it's gonna, it would be like JT2 Maloa who eventually starts going crazy or something like that, right? If it's going to yeah, be somebody gonna from some, the Ohio State defense. There would need to be some production. Sawyer had a good game last night. Defensive end snaps, JT 26, Jack Sawyer 25, JJB 23, and not in garbage time, right? That was like in real time, right? Is that is that fair they, to say? They started rolling him in as the Jack more, which we had not seen them do in the first two games. And really the Jack had been a, exclusively a Jack Sawyer domain in those first couple games. I don't I can't remember if I even charted it late against Arkansas State, so it's possible that they did it. I but I, I it was very noticeable last night, Saturday night. JJB 23, Caden Curry 18. Now a lot of that's later in the game. Zach Harrison 17. So again, it's comparison, but Zach Harrison 17 compared to 26 and 25 for JT and Jack Sawyer. That that sort of we're we're getting the feel for this, right? I mean, I think. We mostly have the handle for how everybody, what everyone's role is at this point defensively. Yeah, that's that's the baseline that I expect that those two sophomores are going to play the primary snaps on the edge, regardless of who starts. And Harrison is kind of like the primary backup, or the I guess not the backup because he does start, but like the prime, the he's the third guy. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's been pretty clear. Like third above four and five, but clearly third behind the top two. There's clear, there is a clear three-person tier, yes, a triumvirate. And so, you know, the defensive tackle snaps, Mike Hall didn't play. That rotates. I didn't bother with that. 
you know, J.K. Johnson did play a lot at corner, but again, that's Cam Brown was out for a while, right? So that's, I don't think we're learning anything. I think we have a handle on who's playing on the defense. Offensively, and Steven specifically mentioned this on the postgame pod, he'd be curious about the snaps. Receiver snaps, Marvin Harrison Jr., 50. Mekagbuka, 42. Julian Fleming, 18. So it was not split. It's more like two to one, basically, Igbuka to Fleming. So if it's two series for EE and one for JF, and again, that's pre sort of, you know, game gets out of control. Jackson Smith and Jigba actually played more snaps than Julian Fleming, according to PFF. He played 23. I didn't even know that Jackson had played that many. Again, just kind of a limited role. Yeah, but that was almost probably entirely accounted for just 12 personnel things almost like any time that Jackson with the jig was in the game and they did 12 personnel, he was on the field, I think. So that would explain that handful of snaps. It, it, I, I, I'm curious as we get farther away, like what does it look like next week in a more talent? Well, relatively talent equated matchup. We think between Abuka and Fleming, that may tell us more than the first game off an injury in a blowout. But I don't think the blowout is the, is the issue here. Right. I mean, I think neither of them were playing once it was a blowout. Then that's when Jaden Ballard and Xavier Johnson were playing. So I do think yeah. it's I think the 42, I think the it's his first game back is completely right. Of course. I mean, they're they're not gonna throw him back in for a full load when he missed the first two games. But I don't think it's nothing. So Agreed. just to be yeah. clear, it wasn't a split, it was 42 to 18, uh Agbuka to Julian Fleming. And then the, you know, we, we saw the first team offensive line do its thing for most of the game. The second team offensive line, we know what that group is as well at this point. And we know Trevion played limited snaps before Mayan Williams came in. So do you think is it, it's been a little bit of a winding path through the first three games, but as Ohio state now heads into this game on Saturday in prime time, again, against Wisconsin and Wisconsin's coming off a big win over New Mexico state. Who's awful but they had lost to Washington state in week two. Do you feel like you have a pretty good handle on Ohio state as a team right now? I think we do. You're just talking about just from a personnel standpoint. No, just like what they do. Well, what they maybe are trying to get better at who plays, what role, who's good, who's a backup, who's a playmaker, all that. Yeah, I do. I, I think I do have a pretty good handle on that. You see the potential for maybe some more emergence on defense because some of those guys, even the ones that you think are are kicking it in, are still so young that there may be we're only maybe seeing still some surface scratching from JT to Maloa, from Jack Sawyer, even from Mike Hall, although he's obviously kind of out in front of some things. So I think there is still something that can happen, and I think something does need to happen in that cornerback group. It's that's that's the underwhelming group right now. Um, I. I, I, you know, we've talked about Burke ad nauseum, had another mixed bag game, I I thought, uh, better, but still some issues. Uh, Cam Brown, I think, is always going to be a little bit limited, and now who knows what's creeping creeping up with him injury-wise. So, And now you might be exposing J.K. Johnson pretty early to uh, now a a team that is – less than we thought it was going to be, but still potentially dangerous. So that's maybe the one, the area on the team that probably has to, uh, that there's some urgency for it to kind of kick up a notch. Probably Jordan Hancock is the biggest wrinkle remaining. 
right? That this is a guy that everybody was excited about in preseason, had the injury. We weren't sure how long it was going to keep him out. He has not played. J.K. Johnson, who we thought was, you know, J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock, they're the third and fourth corners. They're going to be in there behind Burke and Brown. And J.K. Johnson has played a ton. And we haven't seen Jordan Hancock yet. And as you said, you know, Ryan Day has talked about that. They that they feel like, I mean, I think it's it's some sense of his value, Nathan, that Ryan Day talked about it in a way that it has felt limiting to them, that that his absence has mattered because they thought they were going to be able to have him and they they kind of feel like they need him, right? So a couple of weeks ago, I think it was the Arkansas State Week on his radio show. Ryan Day got some kind of what should have been inane question about the kicking game and about how they were getting kickoffs into the end zone. And he was like, Oh, thank God. It was like, it was this very revelatory response from Ryan day that uh, we've kind of glossed over the kicking game a little bit. We probably need to go in, delve into that a little bit because I feel like we'll, everybody on this beat will wait until something weird happens. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting from the, uh, I'm, I'm taking off a tangent. I felt like his response when I asked him about Jordan Hancock, this past week was a little bit like that. It wasn't quite that dramatic, but it was, it, you could definitely tell from his tone that not having Jordan Hancock is a deviation from the plan that they had. It wasn't just a thing where they're like, oh, we hope that he's pretty good and that he can come along and contribute. I think they thought he would be on the field playing real snaps. I don't know if he'd be starting, uh, but I think he would be rotating in ahead of J.K. Johnson. I mean, we had seen evidence on the field, whether it was things we saw in the spring, whether it was the spring game itself. Like Hancock was making plays. Hancock was doing some things. I, I, I think that is maybe the biggest deviation from what Ohio State expected to have as far as its team right now. Even more so than like Evan Pryor, who was going to be you know third in line and maybe mixing in before he got hurt. Like I think Hancock is the thing that is left the biggest gap that needs to be filled somehow. And the good thing, I guess, for Ohio State is that he can still fill that. He is not out for the year. And Ryan Day said that it's just been a really complicated thing to get him back. And if they think that 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 he can get that level this year that really does help them, I get. I understand why they're being so cautious with it. You don't want to get him on the field against Toledo and have the setback where he's not on the field against Penn State, Michigan, name your team. J.K. Johnson, according to PFF, 12th on the team in defensive snaps ahead of both Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison, which is some indication, again, maybe a little bit of that is sort of garbage time, but certainly not all. I mean, like he's playing real snaps. And he didn't play at all against Notre Dame, I don't believe. So right, no, that's correct. Games. It's just in two games. That's two games, which, again, I think some of that is indicative of he – he folded into, especially the Arkansas State game, earlier than they expected. They were not expecting to have to put him on the field to like correct that Denzel Burke wasn't playing well. So I think the plan all along was probably to let him run in the second half. So some of that, it, the, the blowouts have helped, but he definitely, he, you're right, he has been in games earlier than that. I'm just going to run through it because I think snap counts are interesting. Tommy Eichenberg leads the defense in snaps with 157. Ronnie Hickman, 151. Denzel Burke, 139. Lathan Ransom, 130. They're the pretty clear top four. Cam Brown, 118. So the starting corners are third and fifth in snaps. J.K. Johnson, who's been the third corner, is 12th in snaps. So he's not playing as much as those guys, but he is playing. Cody Simon is sixth in snaps which is actually ahead of Steel Chambers pretty significantly. Cody Simon's played 101 snaps. He's sixth. Steel Chambers has played 84 snaps. He's ninth. 
Tanner McAllister's only played two games because he missed the last one. 89, he's seventh. JT, he's eighth at 86. Cam Martinez, 84, is ninth. Tied with Steel Chambers. Tenth, Teron Vincent, who's leading the defensive tackles. He has 83. J.K. Johnson, 12th at 79. Jack Sawyer, 13th at 78. Zach Harrison, 14th at 68. J.J.B., 64, is 15th. And then Mike Hall is second among defensive tackle snaps, even though he missed last game. I, I think we... We haven't given up on the PFF grades, but the grading of salt is turning into a shaker of salt. Do you want to guess? Kenyatta Jackson, freshman edge, is first in the defensive PFF rating. You want to guess who's second? I actually looked at the grades. Is it is it Curry? No, it's Tyreek Williams. Is it Williams? PFF's okay. favorite guy. High too, I think. Small sample size. Small sample yeah. size. Tyreek Williams, uh, who again, a lot of people were very excited about, is 18th in snaps on the team with the uh, the highest PFF grade among anyone who's played, if uh, you know, anyone who's played at least 20 snaps this year. So that is what it is. Um, I, th- I think we do have a handle on them. I think, that, you know, as we watch this week, we're now watching injuries, right? We're watching the full, 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 full return of Jackson Smith and Jigba. We're watching how is Travion Henderson, and we're watching when is Jordan Hancock going to be on the field. But I think the offensive line is playing pretty well, has come along and is doing its thing. Cade Stover has clearly emerged as a real number one tight end, a real number one Big Ten tight end. And you're, you know, Marvin and Emeka in year two are doing what you would expect as well. So I guess I, th- I think we do, right? Here we are. It took three games. But I think it did take three games because I think after two games, it wasn't all the way there. And it's funny to say a 77-point effort against a MAC team is what got us there. But it's it's a piece, right? That by itself doesn't get you anything. The Notre Dame game, weird, compressed, slow, doesn't really get you anything. Arkansas State, clunky. But there's there the three different – the three games are different enough. They did this well. They needed to be better at this. And this other time they did this well. And we see the guy. So, so I, I hope the people listening go into which again, that's the, I think the preseason, I think the coaches probably feel that way too. I think Larry Johnson feels that way and Tony Alford and Brian Hartline and Justin Fry and Jim Knowles, right? And Ryan Day, which is what this is supposed to do. So mission accomplished. Big 10 play starts next Saturday. Let's just compare it to where we were last year. I mean, at this time, three games. And now that's almost seems like too low of a standard to try to apply. But, you know, last year after three games, after two games, but even after that third, after the Tulsa game, which I still say was their worst game last year, like just still grasping for straws on defense, still looking around and, and we're, we're analyzing this team wondering like, well, are their best players even on the field? And if so, what does that mean? Like, can they, can they ever crawl out of this? And, uh, and, and not, you know, all of the legitimate concerns you and questions we had about CJ Stroud at that point, because we didn't know the extent of his injury yet, mostly like all those things that were, were piling up after three games. And now you feel like they've set a really pretty solid foundation. Uh, I think as we saw last week between Michigan State and Michigan, a lot could change in the course of a week, depending on circumstance. But this just seems like a team that is more sure of itself. And we could we look at this team and everything makes sense. Even a place like cornerback where we're like, boy, the play needs to be better there. It's not because we think they're playing the wrong guys. And now part of it is because they only have a select 
limited number of guys to choose from at that position right now. But we think they're playing the right guys. Those guys just have to play better. I don't think we look at really anywhere on this team and have questions and like sideways looks at like at the analysis that this coaching staff has done and the way that they've set things up. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to look at the national picture and how Ohio state fits into it. We'll talk about the AP poll. We'll talk about Nathan's ballot. And I have some stats about where Ohio state ranks defensively in the country, because we spent a lot of time in the preseason, top 25, top 15, top 10, top three, number one, where do they need to be? Where are they? We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. All right, let's do that first. Also, if you'll be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. I'm a little, I, I would say I had, it's a weird, I'm coming off a, I don't want to say that it's a high, but I ripped the living snot out of the Browns today because they had one of the worst collapses in the history of organized sport. And then it's just weird to come on this podcast and be like, huh, I wonder how Jordan Hancock's hamstring is. Because I was calling into question the very existence of the Browns themselves and whether anyone currently employed by them should still be employed on Monday. And so it's an odd transition. I don't do that to, I'll do it to college coaches because they're adults. I don't do that to, even with NIL, I don't do that to 19 and 20 year olds because they're doing the best they can. Um, But millionaires, my goodness, Nathan, I don't, I can't, that collapse was beautiful. Remar- for those of us who remarkable had, for anyone who had uh who are they playing again the jets the jets if you had the jets plus six and a half that was that was a and, fun couple minutes and by the way garrett wilson dropping the oh man like oh well like- so he dropped the oh and then he dropped the ball he had a huge drop on third down that yes. looked like it was going to secure the game for the browns yes and then the browns got brown and then and he ends up catching the winning touchdown pass. It was quite a day for Mr. Wilson. He he broke the ankles on the, the Browns top pick from this year because he didn't have a first rounder. But on his first touchdown, just his release off the line smoked Martin Emerson. And then that last touchdown, um, it, it is one of those things, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm, I, we all were right. I mean, this was not a unique position to be very high on Garrett Wilson as an NFL prospect, but he's, he, and he didn't play that much in week one, but he stood up as a number one receiver in crunch time in a game when his team needed him, when his quarterback was a 37 year old backup five years past his prime and Garrett Wilson made stuff happen. Wasn't perfect. Did have that drop, but came right back. I mean, the catch at the end, right down the seam, he had a, he had a ball, like a 10 yard gain right before that in the middle of the field where the Browns horrible defense, just, but like he got open. Right. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. If anybody was like, well, I don't know about Garrett Wilson. It's like, no, 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 no. That's all real. And what he did on Sunday, he's going to do again in NFL games for the next decade. So that was all very real. And now we'll talk about we're going to do we're going to do what you're watching, what you eat and what you're thinking a little bit later. But I do want to talk about where the Browns rank, because I looked at the F.E. plus ratings. It's a combination of Brian Fremo's ratings and the SP plus from Bill Connolly. It's on Football Outsiders. It's the closest thing to collegiate DVOA, which is a metric that tries to pull everything together. Circumstance, who you played, that kind of stuff. Nathan, do you want to guess where Ohio State ranks defensively according to that fairly advanced metric, which is a better metric than looking at yards allowed or points allowed? 
uh, I would guess maybe in the 30s? 15th. 15th in the, in the nation in defense. Now do you want to guess how many teams have both an offense and a defense by that metric that ranks in the top 15? So they are in the top 15 in both. How many teams do you think have that? Two. Four. Who do you think the four are? I think Ohio State is one. Ohio State is one. Do you want to guess where they rank in offense? Uh, they got to be darn near the top, I would imagine. They're first. They're first in offense and 15th in defense. There are three other teams in the, the top 15 in both. I would, uh, I would guess maybe Stetson Barnett and the Georgia Bulldogs. That is correct. Georgia is first in defense and second in offense. Come on, Stetson. Live up to your defense, man. No, I'm done making fun of him. We probably have to talk about that at some point. Uh, yeah, right, George's one. To, yep. Maybe we need to have like a funeral for that and just like yeah. and, and put it away. A memorial service. Um, uh, Michigan. Michigan is correct. Good pull. Michigan eighth in defense, sixth in offense. They've played nobody, but a rating like this takes that into account to some degree. They've been good while playing nobody. And then who else? One more team. Yeah, this is the trickier one. Uh, buh, 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 because the often. Uh, mm. Um, Tennessee. Uh, it's Bama. Bama's oh. third in both. So um, those are the teams, but I just, it's, it's a reminder. So listen, Ohio State's 15th. A lot of the teams who are ahead of them do not have the first ranked offense in the country. So I just wanted to do this for some context, right? Georgia, best defense, number two offense. Clemson, two in defense, 44 in offense. Bama, third in both. Iowa, fourth in defense, 88th in offense. But why are they fourth in defense? Because the person in charge of the defense is not part of the Ferentz bloodline. Wisconsin, fifth in defense, 53rd in offense. Texas A&M, who lost to App State, sixth in defense, 52nd in offense. They switch quarterbacks. Penn State, seventh in defense, 36th in offense. Michigan, eighth in defense, sixth in offense. Kansas State, who lost to Tulane, ninth in defense, 42nd in offense, but your ninth-ranked defense couldn't – but I think they lost to Tulane like 17 to 10. They just offense, offense couldn't score. Kentucky, who has some good wins, 10th in defense, 37th in offense. Baylor, who lost to BYU, 11th in defense, 47th in offense. Mississippi State, 12th in defense, 20th in offense, which is actually pretty good, but they also lost to LSU. Notre Dame – 13th in defense, 32nd in offense, which doesn't sound that bad, except they're practically 0-3. And, and then Minnesota, 14th in defense and 29th in offense. Let's not get bogged down. And well, what are these writings? It's like, I get it. There is some like recruiting stuff tied into it. They pull a lot of things in. It's better than yards per game. The point, Nathan, is some of the teams that are going to be ranked high in defense, it's because they don't even try to play offense. They just use it as a way to employ their children and say, I don't know. Let's try to win 16 to 11 every day. And so what Ohio State is trying to do is a very different world than that. That they're trying to score 50 points a game while also having a defense that can stand up to some of these other. And again, it's not about where you rank statistically with Minnesota, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. That's not the goal. But it's can you play good defense against good team when it matters? So. But how do we do that? We have to rank them somehow. There's no perfect way to do it. This is as good as any. 15th, I think by our standard, right? 
pretty good. And I think in our eyes, good enough, right? That if they're 15th Certainly. at the end of the year, good enough. That should get them where they want to go. I do like the idea of teams having an offense. It's just like a loss leader. Like, you know, how you go, like you get your oil change at the place and they have like the warm cookies and the little plastic case. They just put those out because they want you to feel more at home and keep coming there to get your oil change. Like, so Iowa has like an offense as a loss leader on scoring five defensive touchdowns a year. They, it's just a thing that they have because they have to, in order to, to fill up the time when they, their defense isn't on the field. Brian, Brian, give the customer a cookie. Brian, give the customer a cookie. But dad, can I help fix the car? Brian, you're not here to help fix the car. You're here to hand out cookies. The other coaches are over here fixing cars. The defensive coaches are. Just tell them macadamia nut. Why is it always macadamia nut or chocolate chip? That's the choice. And go in the back and make put a few more in the microwave, Brian. Who, Who would choose macadamia nut over chocolate chip in that scenario? I, I do like macadamia nut. I do I like, like macadamia nut. I like peanut butter. I would choose peanut butter. I choose peanut butter over chocolate in every circumstance. I do sometimes think chocolate is overrated. I like chocolate on its own, but chocolate is in too many things. And chocolate can be a Brian. There's too much chocolate in these cookies. Sorry, Dad. Right. So come on, Brian. Just come on. Keep them hot. Keep the customer. So, but like that's a I'm different. Remember what we were talking about? <laughs> no, I just like to uh, make fun of Brian Ferentz whenever I can. Sure. But, the, but the but what the the job is different. Like what the Iowa defense is trying to do is not the same thing as the what the Ohio State defense is trying to do. But Correct. then when we look at just defenses, we compare them by the same metric. Well, I mean, there's no way that the defensive coordinator at Iowa would ever say what Jim Knowles said to you after the Notre Dame game about how, well, sometimes you can get away with like seven or eight explosive plays when you're the defensive coordinator at Ohio state. Like you can't do like seven or eight a season when you're coordinating Iowa's defense. Cause that's like eight losses because they can't score. Um, unless they're playing, you know, terrible teams like they did this past week. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was looking at just even yards per play, which is a much more rudimentary measurement. And I think Ohio state was like 34th. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds fine. Like, I, I, they don't have yeah. to be elite. This does not have to be an elite defense. It just can't be a defense that is putting its offense with its back to the wall and putting its offense in bad situations against good teams. We need to see them go up against other good teams yet still, but we have indications that this defense should not be putting them in that position this year. And just as a, another point of information, I, I again, y- you try, y- you figure it out on the field, and that's what matters most, who wins on the scoreboard. The F-plus has an overall rating that's, you know, it's offense and defense. It's a team rating. Ohio State's third in that right now. And a th- being over a score of 2.0, having being two or better is a pretty darn good rating in F-plus. Ohio State's 2.07, Georgia's first at 2.65, and Bama's second at 2.38. So they're one of three teams that are above two. Last year, three teams were above two. Ohio State was one of them. Ohio State was second last year, too. They didn't even make the playoff. But again, it's just a metric. 2020, there were two teams above two. 2019, there were four. 2018, there were three. 2017, there were three. 2016, there were four. 2015, there was one. 2014, there was one. It's just early on, Nathan, right? I mean, how else do you try to do things through three games? Through three games, they are at the threshold that in past years 
you kind of need to be at to yeah. be in the national title mix. So three games in, I find that slightly valuable. It's definitely valuable because you know who's not up there is like Arkansas or uh, um, Iowa State. Iowa. Well, no, I'm just talking about. But no, I'm no. talking about other teams. Like good teams. Yeah. Ranked, no. Right. 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 Legitimately right, right. ranked teams that are not, you know, Washington having this like upstart thing now. All of a sudden, like, they're, but they're not in that tier. That tier is, as you just pointed out, it is reserved for the best of the best every year. And Ohio State tends to be in there even when it has other flaws, which we saw last year. That offense sometimes will carry you up into that tier and the de- and, and kind of drag the defense along. And this year, I think you're seeing the defense can give that another push. Yeah, and I think that's a good right. You just the defense isn't a weight on the back of the cart, right? It's 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 carrying its own weight, but the offense is propelling it. So it's just we're just looking three games in for ways to try to compare the thing we always do, Ohio State against itself, Ohio State against the best teams in the country. They have been higher than two. Last year, they were higher than two. They were 2.17. 2019, they were 2.64. They actually had had the highest rating by this in the country in 2019 when LSU won the national title. I mean, again, 2017, they were 2.17. 2014, they won the national title. They weren't above two. So whatever. But um, that's where we are. Where did you have them? On your, where did you have the Buckeyes on your AP ballot this week, Nathan? I, I moved them up to number two this week. I still had Georgia number one. I'm I'm struggling to know how anyone is voting Alabama number one and really even Ohio State number one right now. They got combined four of the 63 votes. But I mean, Georgia's just, I mean, it's like 130 to 10 and they've played two power five teams. And one of them was Oregon, which just beat BYU. And the other one is South Carolina which is not a good team by any means, but could be like a bowl team. And like Spencer Rattler is a, a quarterback who doesn't make you ashamed to have him on the field. Another, another subtweet at Iowa there. I mean, like it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, yeah. like Georgia's flattening people. Georgia's making people think maybe there needs to be something above FCS right now. I'm being, I'm being hyperbolic, but they're, they're crushing it. So I think they, they should probably be the unanimous number one right now, but I think Ohio state deserved number two this week. And I, it's not like I'm holding a 63 to seven win over Louisiana Monroe against Alabama, but what we saw from Ohio state against Toledo, I thought was so complete. I think the, I, I also, think that they're the Utah state win that looked better than it was. I think that was like the defending mountain West champ to start the year. It doesn't look as good as, as you go farther along. So it's, it's a new evaluation each week. And this week I gave Ohio state number two. I think that could continue to flip though. I'm just going to warn people in advance. Like I'm not going to be consistent. Like just cause I have Ohio state there and they win doesn't mean they have to stay there. And Alabama's got some games coming up, man. Like their schedule's about to really get tough. And I know, I know people think we move the goalposts when we talk like this, when I say a statement like that and then say a statement like this, which is Ohio State's schedule might not be quite as tough as we thought it was going to be coming into the year because the Notre Dame win, in retrospect, doesn't look as great, isn't going to hold up. I'll say this. It's not going to hold up with the value that we thought it would. And yeah, we, thought, we thought Notre Dame might be 10-2. and two. Yeah. And, Notre Dame might be a top-10 team at the end of the year. They're not going to be. Now, if they if they do end up being ten and two, it's going to have a lot of value because that means Notre Dame will have won ten games in a row and people will be fawning over them. But I don't think that's going to happen. And 
Wisconsin, we thought was going to be three and zero coming into this game. They lost at home to Washington State, and now you know Washington State may be putting a little something here together. But that's not the the team that loses at home to that Washington State team is not what we thought Wisconsin was going to be this year. And, and then Michigan, yeah, no, and Michigan State just lost to Washington. And Michigan State just lost to Washington. And Washington actually, they're good. They, they have a, a higher floor than Washington State typically does. So it doesn't surprise me. People like the, that coach. and it, Something is probably happening there. But I was also a little bit, you know how you're, you're always voting for those teams that are maybe in that, like, there's somebody who you always have ranked, like, right around 15, who you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking, this, may, maybe not. And that was kind of yeah. how I thought about Michigan State. No, that's not a bad loss. Washington was favored. That's at Washington. That's a tough yeah. game. It's Michael yeah. Penix went crazy, the former Indiana yeah. quarterback, and Kalen DeBoer, the one-time offensive coordinator in Indiana. So they're like they're they're good. But again, if if Washington, if Michigan State goes and wins that game, then you say, man, that's uh, Big Ten. Big Ten East is for real. I do think Penn State's for real. I think that Penn State win at Auburn is pretty good. Like that is legit. And I know you've been ranking Penn State higher than most all the way. There's a lot of things that are falling apart in the Big Ten right now, and there's a lot of people making fun of the Big Ten, me included, and justifiably so. Purdue goes and loses at Syracuse, and Ohio's, uh, Northwestern loses to Southern Illinois, and Rutgers barely beats Temple, and all this. You know, you look at the scoreboard, and it's like, how is this league getting all this money? By the way, that was a discussion like in my Twitter feed after I made a Big Ten joke at some point over the weekend. And there's like, how are the TV networks paying for this? And someone said like big alumni bases. It's because of Ohio state. Like It's not, it's it like, it almost doesn't matter what Rutgers and Northwestern and Purdue do. They could all go. zero and 12 and they can't all go and 12 because they play each other. Eventually someone has to be one and 11, but it's all, I mean, we realize that, right? Everyone listening to this realizes that it doesn't matter. It's because Ohio state's awesome. And Ohio state's alumni base is huge. And Michigan's quite good. And they're like, it's that. It's not because Purdue has a big alumni base. It's because Ohio State is excellent at football. And that combined with that a lot of people want to watch them. Love watch them, hate watch them, interest watch them, famous watch them, whatever. It's that. So, like, that's all it is. But we all knew that, and I'm still going to do a story about that. But the Big Ten is not great right now. The West is a mess. But I think Michigan and Penn State, I think maybe – I think they both might be top 10 teams, Nathan. Like by the end of the now, talent, coaching, everything now, today, also in mid-October, also at the end of the year, also when they take the field against the Ohio State Buckeyes. I think that's quite possible. Yeah, I think there's going to be a pretty great game, potentially October 15th in Ann Arbor when those two teams play. So we're just a couple of weeks away from that. They should still both be undefeated unless something really weird happens. I have Penn State fifth on my ballot this week, and I've been voting them higher than everybody. But like, there just aren't other teams that are, again, in that same group. So you start talking about, I don't know, you probably put them in a tier with like Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas. That's who I kind of have them with. Even like USC, Oklahoma, Clemson, like, Nobody else has two wins that are even as quality as winning at Purdue on a Thursday night. I'm not trumpeting Purdue as something great, but that's like a top 40 program, right? Like top 35, 40 until they go lose to Syracuse and then winning at Auburn in a convincing way. And again, Auburn, I think is probably one of the top 35 or so teams. I know they don't have a great like signature win yet, but 
those two road wins are something that like if you're voting just based on like results and resume, nobody else has really done that yet. So I don't think it elevates into the tier of people that are just pulverizing people. I think those four teams that you read off that are, I mean, that have that, those are the top four teams on my ballot and they're the top four teams on basically everybody's ballot, I think, or most people's uh, Michigan being the one that it's, it's hard to exactly say what we think about them because that schedule has been just such a joke, but Penn State, I think, is right there. Penn State has to be taken seriously. The defense, I think, is legitimate, and they've got some guys who are starting to, to do some things moving the ball. That Michael Tinsley, the transfer, is a real dude at receiver. Parker Washington has been a real dude. Nicholas Singleton, and they're running back, and they're rotating a couple other people there. And listen, when I said earlier that Sean Clifford limps, he does limp. It's because he has a huge brace on his knee, and he's still playing. Like that is not mocking that guy. I have thought at times that maybe he should be benched for the freshman Drew Aller. They're not benching him. That guy fights his butt off. He's not supremely talented. He's been around forever, but if he can game manage them and just be 65% of trace McSorley and have the defense be good and have a couple playmakers around him, they can be good. So I've had questions about whether Sean Clifford can do that, but Kudos to him for gutting this thing out because he has taken a lot of hits on that body over his college career, and he's still out there doing it, and his team's winning while he's doing it. Yeah, as much as I was high on Penn State, and as I explained earlier this year, some of that was just how I had picked games in the Big Ten and had picked them to beat Michigan and just some stuff that I felt like I had to follow through on for transparency reasons or whatever. Like I thought that they were, before the year, I thought they probably would lose this game at Auburn. Things are kind of a mess at Auburn right now, Um, so who knows what's underlying there, but um, I I thought that was still, I mean, we got to watch some of that game while we're waiting for the Ohio State game to start on Saturday. It's up in the press box, and I thought that was a pretty impressive performance. And I do think we're going to get a little sense of Michigan. I think maybe even more than a little sense. This Saturday, when Maryland goes there, Mm -hmm. noon start, Fox, Maryland, 31-10 over Buffalo, 56-21 over Charlotte, and then this week, 34-27 over SMU. SMU's probably solidly in the 40s, maybe. I mean, that's like a real team. That's a real group of five team. And Maryland had a bunch of penalties and still won the game. And they're they're 3-0, and I think... You know, if Michigan takes care of business against Maryland, we can't just be like, oh, well, Maryland's like Maryland's like a pretty darn good football team. I was very enthused about Maryland in the offseason. I had Michigan on alert for this one. You know, now Michigan's playing very well. But listen, J.J. McCarthy versus Talia Tonga-Bailoa. I mean, if you're going to have a, a, a quarterback matchup in the Big Ten that doesn't include C.J. Stroud, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's a version of this game that I think could be like the 2018 Ohio State game against Maryland, just in a different way. Maryland is a different kind of offense now. Uh, But there's also a version of it where Michigan just is this good and comes out and has like a, you know, a a 52 to 28 kind of win or something like that, too. The, The Maryland could put up some points, but they can't stop Michigan. Yeah, I mean, that that could be true. Uh, Tonga Bailoa, basically 300 yards per game so far, 77% completions, six touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, Roman Henby 
Hemby is uh, like 10 carries a game for like 100 yards a game, which is pretty good as long as 70. And Rakim Jarrett's a really good receiver. He's our leading guy at 196. Dante Dimas Jr., I, I think, must be working back slowly. He only has six catches so far. I thought that guy was awesome last year before he got hurt. So, you know, listen, not every – I mean, you can't – your whole league is in Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You also have to have other dudes. If Maryland is like a solid mid-tier Big Ten team, then that's pretty good, right? Because there's a lot of – I mean, like again – I said before the year, I'm not sure I wanted to pick Maryland to finish second in the West. I'm not sure I wouldn't pick Maryland to win the West the way things are right now. If you said who's better, Maryland or Wisconsin, Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota. I mean, is it a coin flip between Maryland and Minnesota? I think I'd take Maryland. So, like, who's going to win yeah. the West? So, like, I think, you know, watch out for Maryland a little bit at least. Yeah, you remember in 2019, Ohio State was supposed to play Wisconsin. They Well, they did play Wisconsin at home. And they were going to be undefeated both going into that game. And the week before that, Wisconsin went to Illinois and lost in like the the one like gleaming triumph of the Lovey Smith tenure at Illinois. I kind of wonder, like, it's, it's possible that that ends up being what this Washington State game was for Wisconsin. Just a weird blip that they are enough. You know, we've talked before about how there's like the bell curve and, and Ohio State tries to be in that that very narrow part of the bell curve where you're not as susceptible to a loss like that. But Wisconsin typically plays in the fatter part of that bell curve where they always can be tripped up at least once a year by a loss like that. And maybe that turns out to be that. I don't know. We'll find out more Saturday. But that it's they saw that offense should be able to do more than that against Washington State. Ohio State fans before the primetime game should be, you know, at least moderately interesting. Ohio State, Wisconsin on Saturday night. Watch Maryland, Michigan at noon. I think I think it'll be worth your watch. So, all right, anything else that was on your mind? Scott, the defensive coordinator at Nebraska also got fired. People are joking, like, are they going to fire one coach for every loss? It's like a it's like a firing squad. It's like, <laughs> oh, you guys better win or, or, the, or the safeties coach is going to get it this week. It's like, it's like Survivor. Somebody gets voted off each week. Yeah. You lose and uh, the, 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 you lose and somebody gets voted off. I mean, I didn't actually – so when I – last week I did – a little bit of this podcast by myself when we did the fat part in the middle, we were talking about the playoff and I forgot to bring up Scott Frost who had just gotten fired earlier that day and how, like how, how much his, how much Nebraska's head to head with Ohio state helps define a little bit why that just didn't happen for them. Not that they really should have been expected to step up and be at Ohio state's level, but multiple times and there were a couple blowouts in there too of the four games i think there were two blowouts but then two that were right there the one in ohio stadium the one in lincoln last year they were like winnable for nebraska but just one of the many examples of how they could not get out of their own way and get over the top and win a game like that no it's i mean if you try to do a ranking of the most colossal coaching failures in big 10 history it has got to be up there i can't believe how bad he was and it was funny. It was like, I think they were like 7-7 seven, seven with Oklahoma. And I think people were like, oh, look, oh, they just needed it. And I was like, no, their, their whole roster's a mess. The whole program's a mess. Um, I will say we may as well talk about this a little bit. Pete Thamel had a report out that like Urban Meyer is not interested in Nebraska. And also, I think, added to his report like an Urban plans to not coach anymore. Um, Pete and Urban go way back. It's like, I wonder who his source was on that. So, of course, he just called Urban and Urban told him that. I know, like, the Nebraska people were chanting for Urban and that kind of thing. Um, 
Landis made a joke about Arizona State because Arizona State opened because they fired Herm Edwards on Sunday. And he had a clip of like back when Urban was like, oh, Shelly and I love the Valley of the Sun. And it's like oh, Arizona State actually is not a bad. It's like, what's the difference between being retired and being the head coach at Arizona State? I don't know. I guess you just can't, if you're retired, you don't get paid millions of dollars. Like what would even be, but he likes, like he's good at the TV thing. I don't, I don't know. I'm not Colin Urban. Like I'm not trying to check in to figure it out. Like good luck to him, but like, that's not where I am with this. So, you know, I had the long conversation a couple years ago, the first time he retired and the whole thing about he can't help himself, but, Talk about f- coaching failures. My God. I mean, yeah. if like if we open up that beyond Big Ten, it'll open to the greatest football coaching failures of all time. Scott Frost and Urban Meyer in Jacksonville might be fighting for the top spot. So I, I mean, maybe that satiated it. Like, oh, I had to try this. Oh, it was like a miserable failure to the point that like people, the whole country mocked me. So maybe just go be good on TV because he is still good on TV. So I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I have expertise on it. I'm not going to call him and ask him. I'm not going to try to talk to his friends about it, whatever. Good luck. But I don't know. Like, do you bounce right from the Jags to random mid-tier power five opening of the week? I kind of don't see it, Nathan. Well, it just doesn't follow to me, and you know him better, but it just doesn't follow the way that this has worked for him in the past. I mean, Florida was already a thing before he took over Florida and made it what it, you know, took it to a, a high. Well, not really even took it to a higher level. Like they won great things under Spurrier, too. And then he comes in behind that years later and has great success again. And then he comes to Ohio State, which is already a thing with recent national championship success before he gets there. And you go to Nebraska, that is a from the studs out rebuild. Like it's not there. Like the thing that you need to even be respected in the big 10 West is not there right now. So that's what urban Meyer wants to go do. He wants to go build that from scratch almost. And and you have to remake, like you, you have to come in and put in like there in, in some ways, I suppose there are some cultural parallels. Like he could probably do some of the urban, he could get some of the urban buy-in there just because of the, the, the community there and, and the way that, that it's built. But like from a talent standpoint, you are nowhere near what Urban expects to be putting on a field every week. I mean, he, he went to a place where he knew was, had, was 1-15 in 15 the year before and had the number one pick in the draft for a reason and still couldn't handle the fact that they weren't going to be able to win. Like, what do you think he's going to – do when he's losing to to uh Brian and and Iowa's non-offense and and whoever like it's not gonna he's not gonna be able to handle that I just not Nebraska has never really made sense now did it make sense to me that while Urban Meyer was in Lincoln this past week that Trev Alberts the AD at Nebraska who usually probably ends up talking to the guys who come in for these things um the the broadcast crews anyway would maybe pull him aside and chat with him, not about the job necessarily, but just about the situation. And maybe like say, hey, well, you know, what are your thoughts? Who do you think would be a good fit here? I could see him doing something like that. It just never made sense to me that he like the reports that were out there that he was like a candidate or whatever. I, I it just never really made sense to me from either side. 
I will be curious if and when how Tom Herman, former Ohio State offensive coordinator, gets back into the coaching cycle. He's doing a little broadcasting right now. It really worked. He was really good at Houston when he left Ohio State, and then it didn't work at Texas. And I think he tried too hard to be urban, and Texas is weird. And as as Shahan Jeharaja, my partner on the College Football Survivor Show, is down there and understands it, it's just there's so many cooks in the kitchen, man. It's like you can't kind of get your stuff done sometimes. Like if you let Tom Herman like go to Nebraska, kind of do his thing, dial up the offense, and then go recruit Texas, which as the former head coach of Texas, and he was like one of Ohio State's Texas recruiters when he was at Ohio State, like that could work because I do think Nebraska for Nebraska to be good, you have to have a recruiting foothold somewhere. And back in the big eight, big 12 days, often that recruiting foothold for them was in Texas. And then they came to the big 10. It's like, well, do you lose that? Can you now come do it in the Midwest? And I don't, they haven't really done it. So if you can get a bit of a Texas vibe back and an offense that people want to be part of, I don't think that's crazy. And I would talk to urban Meyer about that. Like, I think Tom, I think Tom lost himself a little bit in the high pressure stuff of Texas. And there's going to be some high pressure at Nebraska, but like, I think they're more, they've been humbled more. Texas probably should have been humbled by now, but I don't think they have been. They still think there's something that they, they, they're not, but Nebraska knows it. Nebraska is not like, where's our national title? Nebraska's like, could we maybe win the West once a decade? Could that happen? Like I honestly, so who knows? And they, there's a, there's a 50 other people that they should look at. Um, but it is one of those, it is one of those things, Nathan, when you have a team in your conference, who is the dominant force, it doesn't mean you should go pluck a guy off the staff. That's not the smartest way to do this, but Nebraska does have enough in common with Ohio state that there are aspects where they should look at Ohio state and think Trev Albert should think, what can we learn from that? What can we steal from that? What can we tweak in our own image? Based on that, we have a passionate fan base that really cares about this. We are the preeminent program in the state with no real competition. We have a great history, but the demographics are working against us. A lot of that applies to Ohio State, right? Kings of the North, man. A lot of it applies to Ohio State, but Ohio State overcomes it. Well, how? Well, you better, Kings of the North, you better go recruit in the South. So I would have at the top of my list somebody that you think can A, and anymore, what's the best way to get great players, have an offense they want to play in. That might not, and I know it swings back defense. It felt like it swung, you know, Dave Aranda and Luke Fickle, and it swung back defense a little bit sometimes in these cycles. When in doubt, build an offense that dudes want to be part of and then be able to go to Texas or California or Georgia or Florida or Louisiana and get them. And I don't know if Tom Herman might be about as good of a version of that as Nebraska could hope for. I don't know. I don't know. But Scott Frost, I think it turns out seems like was a terrible leader. I don't, I mean, his, his program's in disarray. No, but like, it's just, I think ship, ship the stern. What is it? Bow to butt. I don't know. No, I don't know nothing about no boats. Oh, I grew up in a bean field. I don't know boats either. From one side of the boat to the other side of the boat. It was just a cluster. And he never he never figured it out. He was overmatched. He seemed qualified. His resume was right. The dude was wrong. So 
I'll be curious to see, but I, I think you've got to check on Ohio State stuff. Anybody in the Big Ten who's making a coaching hire should at least glance at Ohio State and say, what can we learn here, right? Yeah, again, I don't yeah, I don't think it involves it involves like taking somebody off of the staff, but I think you've got to look at just being a microcosm of Ohio State can get you a long way in the West. Like being a poor man's version of that could get you a long way in the West. Uh, but I also think that they would right now if you're in Nebraska, you look at like like why can't they be Wisconsin? No, I mean, there's no, why can't they be the best program in the West? There's no, yeah. I mean, everybody in the West should be asking themselves that. Why can't we be the best program in the West? And the answer for all of them, well, honestly, and maybe not, I mean, maybe not Purdue, maybe not Northwestern. I don't know, but Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska, at the very least, should look in the mirror every day and say, affirmation, we're the best program in the West. You're good enough. You're smart enough. Other than Brian Ferentz. You're qualified enough and people like you. Those three programs, right? There's nothing holding Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin back from taking that division. And to Wisconsin's credit, they have. They have. They're trying to hold on to it. But what? why can't Iowa and Nebraska be Wisconsin? There's no reason. Right. And, we, and Illinois should probably have like a six-year plan or something like that. They have a six-year plan. It's called, yeah, it's it's called, called a Burt plan, baby. Yeah. It's called Let Burt Cook. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll be curious to see how that goes. And again, we're not saying come to Ohio State and be and call Tony Alford, Brian Hartline, and Perry Eliano into a room and say one of you is going to leave this room as Nebraska's head coach. We're not saying that's what you should do. But why shouldn't Brian Hartline be Nebraska's head coach? Like what? Like if we're saying like, oh, what do you need? Someone who can dial up an offense that guys want to play in and can go recruit in Texas? I don't. What? Like what? Why wouldn't you ask Brian Hartline if he wants it? I, I mean, it makes m- much more sense than Urban Meyer to me. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's all going to be like, what can you sell to your fan base, I suppose, to some extent. But that would seem to be, again, if you're a Nebraska fan, what do you what what have you been like longing for more than anything? I think it's just sort of talent. It's like, it's like talent that's, I mean, and, and, and again, I think you're right about frost and the leadership problem because they have occasionally gotten those guys like Wanda Robinson is there for a couple of years. He kind of gets jerked around and then he leaves. And like when, even when they've had guys like more dynamic guys, they haven't been able to keep them there. So part of it is talent acquisition. Part of it is culture. Part of it is, I think also just competence. And uh, it's, it's tough because there were every reason to believe that that was going to be Frost. We, I don't think I don't know anybody thought he was going to come there and elevate Nebraska to being a national power again. But they thought he'd keep him out of the basement. He, they, you thought he'd make them the best of what Nebraska can be in the modern era, which is a very good Big Ten team that should compete to win its division more often than not. Are you a national power? Wisconsin's not a national power, but be Wisconsin. So, and I'm not like, I am not, I'm not being facetious about Brian Hartline because why wouldn't, it's a little bit of the Marcus Freeman kind of thing. It's like, well, how are you going to get a guy like that? Well, you're going to get him by going early when it's like, well, is he fully, he's pretty young. It's like, yeah, but if you wait until he's ready, he's not coming here. So, well, yeah, you can wait until he's ready when Ohio State names him to be Brian 
Ryan Day's successor when Ryan yeah. Day goes to succeed Bill Belichick or whatever. Like it's a little late then to try to sneak in and say, oh, no, we got an offer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Do you like corn? Uh, <laughs> oh, have you heard of the Runza? We've been saving the Runza. Yeah, right. That's that's our closer. Did you see the video? Kong? It's got the juice. It's got the juice. I had you see you never saw the video with the kid who loved corn. Oh, now if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the no. video of the kid espousing the greatness of corn, and then people mixed it into a song, um, it's unbelievable. It was like it's like three weeks old by this point. They gave him a Chipotle commercial already. He is such a charming young kid, and he loves corn. Make him the next head coach in Nebraska. I think he's this, nine. This is a very modern th- way to respond to what you just said. I know about the thing you're talking about. Like I saw that that was a thing, but I didn't actually watch it. Yeah, no, watch. It's a good, funny. It's a charming kid. So we'll see what happens. And again, it's like with Brian Hartline taking the Nebraska job. It's like actually, if you're if you like Columbus, and the thing that you find is that a lot of Ohio State players like Columbus. Brian Hartline's from Canton, but he likes Columbus. Lincoln is kind of mini Columbus. I mean, it's not Columbus, but it's kind of mini Columbus. It's the capital and it's where the university is. And it has like a cool downtown. That's kind of like the short North. Yeah. So like, it's more like Columbus than East Lansing or West Lafayette or Bloomington. Right. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you like Columbus and you're looking for more like that than Starkville, right. Then, it's a version of it, so it's just one of those things. Family stuff matters. Family stuff matters. Okay. When we come back, what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird. Again, Nathan, you are uh, what you're writing. We should probably include that. I wrote a story ripping the Browns. You are working on the Donovan Jackson story. How's it coming? Yeah, that'll be a uh- Tuesday morning so people should look for that it's just a little peek at the his background and kind of what how he came to become the prospect that he became and there's a Cleveland connection his dad is from Westlake and his grandfather so his dad's dad uh, Wilson Jackson was a longtime college football referee including in the Big Ten so Todd Jackson the dad grew up going around to college football games with his dad, his dad, Donovan's grandfather, um, and like had this real bonding experience, like playing football on Friday nights and going to his dad's games on Saturday. And then he'd come home and watch NFL games. So then later the bonding experience for Todd and Donovan was as in, again, a very modern story playing Madden, but at like seven or eight years old, he was, his dad used to like really kick his butt at, at Madden. And then Donovan, kind of on his own started figuring out like how to read the defenses and audibling into things and started beating his dad. So part of this is that there's a little, there's more to Donovan's um, football mind than I think we, we, we see his size and the athleticism and the kind of the force that he plays with, but he's, he's working with some other tools there that are making him um, the, the, the prospect he is. All right. We'll look forward to that. Uh, are you watching anything? You have time to watch anything? We so once the baby comes and you start working at the same time, you start watching a lot less things. But the one thing we have been creating time for is Severance, 
which we just started watching a couple weeks ago. The Adam yeah, I Scott that. show on I Apple. Yeah. Really like it. Yeah. John Turturro is really good in it. John Turturro is very good. Adam Scott himself is very good. I think the whole cast is pretty good. Christopher Walken is in it. Uh, is it Patricia Arquette? Yes. Plays the main, like she's good. There's some, there's some actors who I don't know that are, are good in it. So Ben Stiller is the director of most of these episodes. There's an author I like named George Saunders. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff. It's very like dystopian kind of like soft science fiction, but really more like postmodern things. And uh, I remember many years ago seeing that Ben Stiller had optioned one of his like novellas or short story collections to turn into something. And I don't think that ever happened, but thematically and just like tonally, this show reminds me a lot of George Saunders. Like it's, it's like a workplace again, kind of postmodern something's going on wrong behind the scenes um, concept. And uh, we've really enjoyed it. We're we're not all the way through the first season yet, but um, we're, we were excited about like every episode and there've been like surprises and there's, there's a, there's like a cliffhanger at the end of like every show, but like not in a like over the top kind of way. It just, it, it keeps you hooked. It's, it's been a good, good watch. So the only band in the world that I care about is REM. It's, I mean, I'm, I am who I am. And Adam Scott is a huge REM fan. And Mm -hmm. he and another guy did a whole podcast going through like every REM album, like mm-hmm. song by song talking about it. And I listened to that podcast and I think it's what happens with us and our loyal listeners to some degree. Cause I do think we talk to people so much and you guys listen. So, you know, the guys, the, those of you who really listen all the time, you feel like you get to know us kind of, because we just kind of get on here and chat. And so through the fact that Adam Scott and I like the same band and I listen to him talk about the band I like, I think we're friends. So when Severance came on, I was like, oh, cool. My friend has a new show. And then like now he's on like a Verizon commercial. And I have to remind myself, nope, you're not friends with him. You just listened to a podcast that he did where you shared a similar interest. So, uh, but I would like to say if any of you think that you're friends with us, you are. Because we're not as famous as Adam Scott. And if you guys want to hang out, like we're cool. So if I tried to hang out with Adam Scott, I'd be arrested. If you guys tried to hang out with us, that would just be your problem. So, well, that's a good one to watch. Everybody dies at the end. But other than that, you'll love it. No, I'm just kidding. That's not a thing. Um, okay, so I'm watching The Dragon Show, right? And the last episode, so we're recording this on Sunday night. A new one came out. It's the drag, It's the uh, Game of Thrones spinoff. They used the Game of Thrones song at the beginning, though. They didn't even change the song. I thought it was a good idea. Keep using the song because everyone likes it the best. Um but the dragon like show new, I haven't watched it yet. Is it like a new map? A new it's a new map, but it's the exact same song. Okay. So, but the, the last episode was also listen, in the first Game of Thrones, it's like brothers and sisters are, are doing a stuff, and like I get it. Like back in the olden days, I don't know, cousins married each other. I get it. It's part of the thing. I guess you have to, but but back, but like on Game of Thrones, there were like multiple families. Right. So Cersei and Jamie were were doing it as brother and sister, but they were like one of the five groups of people that you watched in this spinoff. There's just one group of people. There's just one family. It's like a mini. It's a slim down version. It's the Targaryens, but it's just them. You don't get to go off and, and see the funny guy and see Peter uh, Dinklage and like have a have a good time with him 
or go over to the wall and see, look at wolves. You're just with the same people. And last week, the whole episode was about uncle humping. And I came, I was okay. Like, I wasn't okay with it, but it's like, you just have to accept that part of Game of Thrones. But when it's the whole episode, it's a little much. You're not going off. There's that, hey, see that big guy? He's going to fight that other big guy. Oh, that'll be cool. Hey, over here, this guy's going to get on a ship and play a trick on someone. Oh, that's cool. And then, nope, here's the brother and sister. They're back in the bedroom. All right, I'll live with it. This was 60 minutes of, is she going to do it with her uncle? It's not entertaining, Nathan. I didn't like it. Break it. You have to break. The showrunners should understand that. A little bit of that goes a very, very long way. Well, and for anyone who hasn't watched Game of Thrones but was thinking about watching Game of Thrones, I want to maybe interject here that in the original show, a little of it did go a long way. There wasn't just wall-to-wall incest. It was this one relationship. It wasn't widespread. That's how they made you real. It was understood that it was still, even back then, kind of scandalous and taboo and a thing that they didn't really want publicized. So just to be clear, uh, there certainly were no full episodes of it back then, but if you're thinking about watching Game of Thrones, but you just don't want too much incest, let me reassure you, there's just enough. Yeah, it's 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 literally the first scene of the pilot, but yes, it's not the whole rest of the show, unlike last week's episode here. I guess this is a mature episode now. I apologize. I guess not everybody gets HBO. If you're listening to this and that was uncomfortable, I apologize. It's a show on TV that people watch. I don't... It was a lot, man. Like, I kind of like some of the new stuff, but it's just, you guys got to be careful. Like, you got to understand it's, it's such a different deal when you're focused on one group as opposed to jumping around from these people to these people. So I'm out, but I do want to talk about, I'm not out. I'm going to keep watching. I just hope they move past it. I do want to talk about delicata squash. Do you like delicata squash? Don't, I don't know. So my wife is like a delicata squash fiend. And like, she'll go to a store and she'll be like, they have 16 delicata delicata squash at this store. I'm buying all of them. And then she'll go to a farmer's market. She'll be like, I got eight more delicata squash. Don't tell anybody. And then she just cuts up the squash. It's like a smaller squash. It's like yellow and green stripes. But you cut it up. And then it's just like in slices. And she air fries it, puts like a sprays it with a little oil and then sprinkles it with some seasoning. And she could eat four delicata squashes her whole dinner because it's so good. It's kind of like a little sweetness to it. But I had it for my dinner tonight because it was like sitting around. She made it for my daughter. My daughter didn't eat all of it. I was busy ripping the brown, so I didn't have time to make something for myself. So I was like, I'll eat the leftover delicata squash. It is very good. And I was not aware of it. I'm not a squash, a squash. I'm not a squash expert. And I don't know if people, I think I get confused by squash because I can flate the gourd with the sport. And I think both of them are too fancy for me, gourd and sport. And I'm put off. I might love playing the game of squash also, but I think I'm not fancy enough for it. But it does turn out I am fancy enough for delicata squash because it's easy to make. It's got a nice flavor to it. And I don't know if it grows in the ground, it won't kill you. So I assume it's kind of healthy. 
So I think a delicata squash would be right up the Baird's alley. I recommend it. Uh, we will have to check that out. So we attempt to grow squashes. We had very limited success with our garden this year. We had a, a billion peppers. There's still peppers out there growing. Um, our tomatoes just didn't grow. And our squash slash zucchini also uh, didn't really get off the ground. Beans were good. Peppers were good, but bad on, on squash and zucchini uh, and tomatoes this year. So next year, we think we're just going to go to the raised beds because it's we had our soil tested. We think it's the soil here. It's like too – I can't remember. The pH balance is off something. It's it's We're not going to be able to really grow what we want here. So um, we're going to have to rearrange it next year. But we we do enjoy the squash just kind of the way that, that she makes it. Or um, sometimes we'll just cut it up and, like, have it in pasta. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's good in pasta. So, yeah. When you try delicata squash, ooh, can you, that what a great tease for next week. Will Nathan try a delicata squash before the next what you're watching, what you're eating? We'll find out on the next Buckeye Talk. Uh, what are you eating? Um, it's It's been pretty non-experimental here the last couple of weeks. I will say because I, I previously um, went to the uh, ends of the earth to promote the generic Kroger um, what's it called? Like the Oak Crunch cereal that they have. I can't remember the the specific name of it. Like Quaker, there's like a Quaker oat cereal and there's like a Kroger generic version that is better and like half as expensive. And so I've been trying to funnel people towards that and they've actually started raising the price. I think it worked <laughs> because people are buying it more. Um, but recently I have found myself straying from my like absolute that like that was like the only cereal I ate for a long time. And lately, like my wife bought the honey bunches of oats recently. And I have I have started delving into the honey bunches of oats as like a great uh like change of pace for the morning. So you still just as I do with the uh oatmeal, I cut up strawberries uh the or the the oat cereal, I cut up strawberries, but it's a it's a great mix with the strawberries too. It's crunchy, it's it's a little bit sweet, but not like so over the top like one of these kids cereals. Good stuff. Do you eat cereal at night? I exclusively eat it in the morning. That will change. I feel like it's a dad thing. I don't eat cereal in the morning. I eat cereal at like 930 at night, like after dinner, before you go to bed. And it's like, eh, I need to eat something. And it's like, you know, it would taste really good right now. A bowl of cereal. So again, keep us posted when you get to that stage. I mean, I guess actually technically having a baby is what makes you a dad. But I think to some degree, eating cereal at night is what makes you a dad. So that'll make it official. Bennett, important step there. Mm-hmm. 10 p.m. bowl of honey bunches of oats, the next step. All right, what you thinking about, Nathan Baird? I was having a conversation with my wife last week, one of those things where you're reminiscing about things, and I brought up this experience. Um, uh, like, What was your worst job interview experience? And I mine was narrowed down to two. It was... One was when you had lunch with me. For Cleveland.com. <laughs> no, that was a perfectly nice lunch. What's that place called? Um, Champs, I think we went to. We went no, to, no, no, we went no, to BJ's. We went to BJ's. BJ's, BJ's, BJ's. yes. Uh, which I've been back to, I think, maybe just once since I've lived here. But um, I, I enjoy that. You know, the, the all-you-can-eat lunch kind of concept. Um, one was when I was in college and I needed some kind of a small job. And I 
answered an ad in probably the Chicago Reader, which is like the weekly uh, free like alternative newspaper up there. It was supposed to be ostensibly for some kind of a warehouse job, but instead they roped you into, uh, it was just some company that like sold crap and they had you like doing like door to door sales. So it ended up being like this all day interview where you're just following this guy around while he does his thing where he's selling crap door to door. It was just such a scam thing. And uh, I immediately bowed out of that and got out of as quick as I could and never went back. Or, it was a much more professional interview situation that I was in one time where I was driving in the night before and I was going to interview the next morning. I was from out of town. It was going to be a few hours away and they were putting me up at some apartment building that they had a room in for this purpose for like interviews and stuff. And I got there and like there were instructions to get in and there was supposed to be a key to get into the room. And I was getting there at like midnight and there was no key to get into the room. So then I'm like scrambling to try to get a hold of someone to come give me the key. So I ended up not getting into the room until like 4 a.m. And my interview started the next morning at like 8, 8.30, something like that. Like, first thing the next morning, you know. And uh, I overslept slightly. Not to the point where, like, I missed anything. But, like, my then... I don't know if we were engaged at that point. But, like, she's calling me in the morning to, like, check in. And I, like, answer the phone all blurry. Like, whoa, what? What's going on? She's like, it's, like, whatever time. And so I had to, like, scramble real quick and get cleaned up and throw some clothes on and hustle and only be, like, 10 minutes late. But, it like, it obviously started the whole thing off on the bad... Uh, note did not get that job though I I shouldn't have gotten that job Um, but it's just uh, funny how like we were just to bring this up in the context of like how you get treated by prospective employers and uh, I brought that story up again and it's like one of these like tent post moments in our relationship whenever someone starts to tell a story like that I assume the ending of the story is going to be and then I clogged the toilet so uh, that it was you just couldn't, they didn't have the key for you. That's better than, and then in this apartment that they use for people who are being interviewed, I destroyed the toilet and it overflowed and I had to call the people and say, and then I just left and never went to the interview. So it was better than I thought. Um, so there's an ad and this is not political, but Tim Ryan, who's running, against, uh, Tim, <laughs> Ryan, Tim Ryan and JD Vance are running against each other. He has an ad out now where he's throwing a football which is TV like, screens. we get it. It's like, okay, football people. Oh, I like football. But also when I first saw the ad, I thought to myself, why is Craig Kilborn throwing a football on a, t- on a television screen in Ohio? Because it looks sort of like Craig Kilborn got old and a little puffy. And cause like they made like Tim Ryan, they kind of blonded his hair up a little bit. It's not about, but it made me think about Craig Kilborn. And I think about Craig Kilborn a lot. I was just thinking about Craig Kilborn earlier today because of how he used to refer to himself as Craigers. And like the name Craigers came into my head at some point today. I was like, oh, yeah, Craig Kilborn. Because if you got you guys know, he's a sports center anchor and then he became the host of The Daily Show. And then he left that. And Jon Stewart took over and The Daily Show exploded after he left. And then he became the host of The Late Late Show. And then he left that in 2004 when he was 42 years old then succeeded by Craig Ferguson, then succeeded by James Corden. Also, don't get me started about why can't we find any late-night talk show hosts from America? Why does everyone have to be from England or Scotland or whatever? So 
I often think when someone is rich and famous, why don't you just get enough money and then quit and vanish? Quit and travel. Quit and hang out. And he is the most prime example, I think, in my lifetime that springs to mind who did that. Because he left the show in 2004 when he was 42. He's now 60. He's done virtually nothing since then. But I assume he made a boatload of money. And I assume, I have no idea, I assume he is living his best life. And it's the thing that I always thought to myself, and it's never going to happen now. It's too late. I'm going to be working until I'm dead. That I would do. Like, don't you have enough money? Be done travel and hang out. But yet the fact that it seems like he has done that is disappointing to me because I'm like, Craigers, where have you been for 18 years? Not that he's the world's greatest broadcaster, not that he's the world's greatest talk show host. He was bad in old school, but it's like, even though it's the, it's the thing that in theory, I think sounds perfect. But in practice, the person to me that exemplifies doing it, it seems weird. And I think about that every month. Like, what happened to Craig Kilborn, and did he make the right decision or not? But then also, you see people like Joe Namath. Joe Namath was, like, literally practically the most famous person in America 53 years ago. And now he's doing, like reverse mortgage commercials in his 80s. It's like, does he need that money? Why are you doing it? So there are some people who hang on till the last nickel, to the last faded public spotlight that they can hang on to. And then I think, well, why are you doing that? Just hang out, enjoy your money. Don't You don't have to do this. But man, that guy kind of had enough of it at 42 and left. And it, like, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's not as fascinating as I make it sound, But I constantly think about what is the point where you say, I have enough fame, I have enough money, and I'm out. And I can't think of a better example of someone who's done it than him. I mean, there have been some other guys who retired at the top of sports at an odd time, or what was seemingly an odd time to the outside world. Barry Sanders. um, Andrew Luck. Johnson, Andrew Luck. Yeah, I mean, those guys walking away. Football especially, I think, lends itself to that. You see it more in football than any other sport. Um, But I I agree that that Kilbourn had always, because he was such a, for his, for, for a certain demographic, he like checked every box. And a couple times a year, I'll go and just watch like old, they used to do this thing on his show called Yambo, which was this dumb game at the end of every occasional episode. So they would take two of the celebrities and just pit them against each other in this weird uh, quiz game that he would narrate. And some of those I think are just really funny just because of the the context of, of how they did it. Um, sometimes those top five lists he would read, like I thought his show was was pretty funny. And um, I still I have like memories of of things that happened on those shows, and it's did he make a miscalculation? Because I thought he also was going away to like do producing and stuff. It wasn't just that he was retiring. I thought he was sort of transitioning into something more behind the scenes, but I don't know that any of those things. Like I don't remember anything of the last twenty years. Somebody being like, "Oh yeah, that's the Craig Kilborn yeah. project that he's shepherding." He he really isn't like out in front on anything. Yeah. So what do you think you would do if you like got 
enough money where you didn't have to work anymore, would you throw in the towel and be like, I'm good. I'm just going to like relax until I'm dead. Or would you, do you think you'd keep going? I think all of us who do jobs like this probably think if I didn't have to work, but I still wanted to be creative, I would go write this thing. I would go write this book or this screenplay, or I would just start my own thing or I would just be writing something and not caring whether it made a profit or not or whatever. I think I would probably do something like that. I think it would probably still be a creative endeavor, but right now, uh, you know, like, especially in the middle of a football season, you can't possibly think about like writing something for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I got, I probably, if I can get like five more grand, I'm out. So we'll see if I can get there. Uh, Okay. That's it. That's this Monday pod that we like to do. We'll be back on Wednesday with the rants and takes on the Buckeyes that I love to do with the tech subscribers. If you want to be part of that, you can sign up to be a tech subscriber at 614-350-3315. And then you can send me your rant or your take, your strong opinion about Ohio State football. And we run through the best ones every Wednesday. It is Ohio State, Wisconsin week. Look for that Donovan Jackson story from Nathan on Tuesday. Of course, we'll be talking with Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, a couple players on Tuesday. You'll get all that coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU on Buckeye Talk and on the tech subscription. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.